Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. All right, good morning. I think I am still cold from the event last night. Like, my hands are still cold. If you were here at the Harvest Festival, it's like, it wasn't that it was too cold of a night, it's just that wind, right? It just cut through everything, but what a great event. I'm so thankful for all of our leaders and for everybody involved. It was just an incredible time uh, reaching our community. Well, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, we've been digging through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've been digging through this book because it is a letter that this Apostle Paul, this guy who's called out by Jesus... He planted this church, and now it's a letter to this church that he pastored and that he planted, and now he's giving them some advice back. And the first part of this letter, if you remember, he's angry with this church. He's angry with them over the fact that they're not unified, that they've got their pet preachers. They're like, no, I like this one better, and I'm only going to show up if this one speaks, and I'm not going to show up if that one speaks. And so he's angry at the church, and he says, is Christ divided? You're like, what are you doing, church? You know, take the gospel from whoever's preaching it, right? This is what he's saying to the church. And then, so he, he like literally spends the first four chapters calling them out on their lack of unity, that you need to be a church that is united. And then he spends the next couple of chapters saying, hey, listen, I've heard some stuff. And the stuff that he hears is kind of crazy. Like, you heard me preach about it, right? If, if, you are, if this is your first Sunday, go back and listen to those sermons or, or, or just read the scripture, actually. It's even better than listening to a sermon. But you go back and, and look at that because he talks about a man who's sleeping with his stepmother. He talks about two people in the church suing each other. He talks about the sexual immorality that's just rampant in the church. And so he talks about these things, these cultural issues. And in fact, what they are, is it's this church that's supposed to be centered on the gospel, but after a time, after a little while, they've allowed the outside influence of culture to come seep in, to so much so that it's sort of indistinguishable about what the cultural ethic is and what the biblical ethic is. And so Paul is correcting these things along the way. And now we're getting into chapter 7, and I'll just say this as a, as a quick commercial for our podcast. After today, we're going to skip forward a few chapters, um, primarily because I've got a Christmas series that we've got to get to, otherwise we'll be in 1 Corinthians until Jesus comes back. Um, right, so, so we're going to skip forward through a few chapters, but on our podcast, I'm kind of going through and giving... A, a, just a quick overview of the chapters on our podcast. So those have come up as extra podcasts throughout the week. So check that out. But now we're in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip there, um, or it'll just be up on the screen. And even in chapter 7, there's stuff we're not getting to because it's a long chapter. So now Paul is, what Paul's doing is saying, okay, I, I've ripped on you enough. Those first four chapters, I just yelled at you for not being united. And then the next couple chapters, I was like, what are you doing in your Christian ethic? And and now I'll answer some of your questions. So what I imagine is happening now, when Paul's sitting down to write this, it's like he's got his, the letter of the Corinthian church to him, and he's sort of like, okay, we're seven chapters in now, although chapter headings didn't come till like 1,300 years later. Um, we're, we're quite into the book now. We're halfway in there. Let me 
answer some of your questions. Let me be practical and useful to you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to talk today about marriage. We're going to talk about what it means to be married to an unbeliever. And we're going to talk about something the church just skips all the time, and that's singleness. And we're going to talk about these three things today because Paul addresses these three things uh, to the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, and they go like this. Now for the matters you wrote about, and then he says this in quotes, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And now this is Paul's response. But sex, sex, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, but not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you have your own gift from God. One has this, one has, one has this gift, another has that. All right, let's pause. So again, we're getting into a new season in the book of Corinthians, uh, the first book of Corinthians here. He says, now for the matters that you wrote about. And the matters they wrote about were in quotes right there in the text. And it says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So like that's in quotes. That's the question that the Corinthian church had to Paul. It seems sort of ridiculous in this day of age that they would ask that question. But they're like, is it better that we're just celibate? We're Christians now. Should we just be celibate people? Because there's so much stuff happening all around us. Maybe we should just be celibate. And the funny thing is, and we probably would never read this into the passage today, but it actually reminded me of a Seinfeld episode. Um, so back when I was a teenager, I'm not trying to advocate this show, but when I was a teenager, I watched Seinfeld, and that's when it was on. So again, not trying to tell you there's any spiritual or moral significance to the show. It was, it's kind of bad. It's nihilistic. There's a whole lot of reasons why, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> there's this episode... Uh, and, and this is, by the way, stoic thinking. This is what Paul's addressing. There's a stoic thought that says, if you don't have sex, then you'll become smarter. There's this episode, you might remember it, where George can't have sex period, for a period of time. And all of a sudden, he's becoming like a rocket scientist. He's becoming smarter and stuff like that. And, and Jerry holds up a piece of lettuce, and he cuts it off, and he says, uh, this, is your, this is your brain. This is the part of you that thinks about intellectual things. It's this little piece. And then this, he holds up the whole lettuce and says, this is the part that thinks about sex. But now that you're not having it, you're freed up to think about all these intellectual things. And so this is a stoic, old belief. This is not... Uh, just something that Seinfeld created, but this is an old belief that's, uh, that was thought of by the Stoics. And so what they're saying is maybe we should live like the Stoics lived. And what he's saying is, no, listen, if you're married, God created you for this. God created you to have sex. It's okay if you're married. This is what Paul is saying to the church. And what he's um, saying to them is so key in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, and he already established this in chapter 6, what we talked about last week, that the body is not your own. It is bought by Jesus. It's bought by a price that Jesus paid for your body. 
that your body's not your own. And then he covered last week that, that married people, the two become one flesh. And so he's sort of just referencing that when he says this, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband not, does not have authority over his own body, but to his wife, but yields it to his wife. For Paul to say, if Paul just said, women, you don't have authority over your own body, in the culture there, that would have been highly accepted. They would have been like, oh yes, of course, of course we all know this, that women don't have any power, that women aren't in control, that, that men have all the power. Of course we know this, Paul. But what he says next is absolutely radical. The Christian perspective here is that husband and wife mutually surrender to each other their own authority. For Paul to say, husbands, you don't have authority over your own body, your wife does. In the ancient world. The ancient world would have just like thought he was nuts for saying that. Because men had all the authority, had all the power. And what Paul is saying is, no, this is what it was like in the beginning. This is what it's like in the Garden of Eden. That when husband and wife come together, the idea is that you have mutual surrender to each other in your marriage. This is what a good marriage looks like. That you're not fighting over one another. That you're not trying to have this power struggle over one another. In fact, there, there's, some, there's some churches that will teach that in the very beginning of Scripture, where um, in Genesis chapter 3, where God is cursing the woman and he says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. There, there's some people who teach that that's just the way it's supposed to be in marriage. But that's a description of a curse, not a prescription for your marriage. And that is so important to know. What Paul is saying here is, look, when you're married, you mutually, you all surrender to Jesus, Christians. And then you surrender to each other. You give yourself over to each other in your marriage. Your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. If you're married here, just elbow your husband or your wife. Be like, don't forget that. You belong to me. But you both belong to each other. It's, it's mutual. That's the point. Your first feeling this morning is Paul is saying marriage is a mutual giving of authority to one another. You mutually yield it is what he says. The word yield is what Paul says there, that you yield that to your spouse. We've all probably been in fights before, right? You've been in a fight before where uh, there's no yielding happening. That's the definition of a fight, right? Is that what you're trying to do is make your point superior. You're trying to win. And so you go up and over and above and you're like, I'm going to win, I'm going to win, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And that fight keeps going out of control, right? There's no yielding in that fight. Have any of you ever, no, none of you have been there before, right? No, oh yeah. Not this church. No, not us, Pastor Dave. Not us, no. We've never fight that way. But yielding is like when somebody's upset, when, somebody's, when you're in a fight, I'm not saying that you have to like just choose to lose or anything like that. What I'm saying is that you submitting what it looks like instead of fighting and, and increasing the fight, it looks like saying, no, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. And then we talk about what's going on in our life. We talk about what's going on, what's making us upset, what's going on in the world here. And what Paul is saying here is that there's so much sexual immorality in the world that husbands and wives, you have got to be united in this. You've got to mutually surrender to one another. It's so key. It's so important. 
But in, in chapter 7 here, what Paul's not doing is he's not giving the big why of marriage. And he's just answering their questions. And, and he kind of does so in rapid fire succession in chapter 7. He doesn't give the big why of marriage. And he does this in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're not going to read the entire thing because that would take a, a whole lot of time. But in Ephesians chapter 5, what's going on with husband and wife here is, this is like the gold standard of marriage text, by the way. So write that down. Go read it. It's incredible. In Ephesians chapter 5, what Paul starts out by saying is, surrender to one another out of submission or out of love for Jesus, that you surrender to one another. And then he has all these rules, or he, the advice, I'd say, for husbands and for wives. And he says, wives, submit to your own husband out of reverence for Christ and men. You need to be like Jesus to your wife. Like, this is what you need to do. Just like Jesus gave himself for the church, men, this is how you need to be for your spouse. This is how you need to be. And then at the very end, at the very end of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, it's, it'll be up on the screen. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He gives all this very specific marriage advice and he says, it's a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church. What does this mean? What Paul is saying is, husbands, the way you love your wife should mimic the way Jesus loves his church. And wives, the way that you love and respect and honor your husband back should mimic the way that, that the church gives its love and honor back to Jesus. Like, it, it should mimic each other. And what he's saying is this is just this profound mystery, but what your marriage does, done right, surrendered to one another, actually puts the gospel on display. In fact, that's your next fill-in. Your marriage puts the gospel on display. That's what it's intended to do. That's what God built marriage for. It's not just the population of the whole earth or anything like that. No, it's so that your marriage can show what Jesus looks like so that your kids can see what Jesus looks like when they look at your marriage so that other people, when they see your marriage, go, I, I want that. What's different about your marriage that you have that I don't have? And it's because both of you are mutually surrendered to Jesus and give yourselves over to Jesus first. And that's what's different in your marriage. So you're called to put the gospel on display in your marriage. This is what Paul talks about. I, I think he, he sort of weaves sort of the beginning parts together in 1 Corinthians, but that's one of the first letters he writes. And then he, he really just articulates it well in the book of Ephesians there. But we have to move on because there's three sections to this sermon today. Like I told you, the first one's on marriage. The second one is, is this. And this is something that the church is grappling with in Corinth. Many people are coming to find and follow Jesus. And so here's what happens. You come to find and follow Jesus. I've been married, you know, say you've been married 10 years or whatever. You're married to your spouse. Uh, your spouse comes to find and follow Jesus, but you don't. So the question is, what do we do in that situation? The church was saying, should we leave these people that we just, we just came to follow Jesus? Should I leave my unbelieving spouse? There was this um, fear among the Corinthian church that, hey, I've just become holy, right? I've just said yes to Jesus. He's just purified me 
from my sins. He, he's taken my sins as far as from the east as the west, and he's made me new. But if I'm joined again together with my unbelieving spouse, do I become impure or unholy? And so it was a question that the church had of Paul. And they're, they're like, am I sinning by staying with my spouse? That's literally the questions that they're asking. And then you'll notice as we start, we're going to jump into verse 12 through 16. Paul says, I, not the Lord, am giving you this command. And I, and I want to hit on that before we talk about this, because what Paul is trying to do is simply distinguish between his words and Jesus' words. Because before, a little verse that we skipped, he talks and uses Jesus' words. And now he's saying, here's my words, here's my thoughts on the matter. And so he gives, and not that they lack authority at all, but he's just trying to distinguish between God's words and his words. I'll do that all the time, by the way, when I speak. I'll say, Jesus said this, this is my translation of it here, right? Because I don't want to, it's not that it's, um, I don't want to make my words Jesus' words. Anyways, that's what Paul's doing here. So, verse 12 through 16. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the believing wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. As it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So this is Paul's whole point here, is that this is a problem that's happening in the Corinthian church. There's all these people coming to believe out of a pagan society, and they're like, you know, my wife still worships Aphrodite, or you know, they still worship these other gods. What do we do? And Paul here is a believer in keeping the marriage intact for the purpose of salvation, for the purpose of revealing the gospel to your spouse. Just as much as your marriage should put the gospel on display, your life should put the gospel on display to everybody you know. Forgiveness, restoration, all of that. The, the whole idea of being kind to your enemies that should be a play all the time in your life because Jesus living in you. So what Paul's assumption here is that the Christian spouse is going to show Jesus to the non-Christian spouse. But I get it, right? I mean, for years you've been married together and you think you know somebody and then all of a sudden, boom, instantly, apparently I can't snap, my hands are still too cold. Um, and then boom, all of a sudden there, there's somebody else. You know, they, you knew them as this way for years. That's why you married that person. And now they're, they're talking about Jesus all the time. Like, what? That's weird. How, when did this happen? You know, and so instead of trying to just teach you principles on this area, I know there's an awesome couple in our church, Jim and Mary DiGregorio, who have lived this. And so I will ask them to come and share their experience with us in this area. Give us a little testimony. Are they still here? Did they go away? Oh, there, you sat on the, uh, you guys tricked me. You sat on the other side. I'm like looking over here. Oh, that was a good trick. So Jim and Mary have lived this, and so they're going to share a little bit of their story um, here. 
I don't know which one of you guys wants to start. Jim's going to start. All right. Jim, would you start us off? Give us a little bit of your story. Sure, sure. Well, one thing, uh, Mary and I got married in 1971, and neither of us were Christians at the time. And uh, then in 1974, I became a Christian through a series of... uh, it's interesting because I was with, with the sheriff's department and in the academy, a Mormon gave me a, a Mormon uh, gave me a tract and it said, ask and you shall receive. And so I threw it in the garbage and uh, because I, I had bad experiences with church earlier in my life and then philosophy or religion in college, that was a joke. So uh, one day I had come home from work and I was for lunch and, I'm, and all of a sudden I, that asking you shall receive kept binging in my head so my very first prayer to the lord was okay i want to know what the deal is and and then he sent a fella at a, a civilian guy at work who had gone through seminary and i became friends with him anyhow through a series of exploration i finally went and got my first bible and uh, did a lot of uh, reading and then my buddy that was a Christian, he moved to San Diego. So one day uh, in 1975, I went out in my little detached garage and prayed to accept the Lord. And I was so excited because I'd been looking for this when I look back since like junior high school. And I was really excited. You know how when a guy makes a touchdown in the NFL Mm. and he jumps up and down, that was me. Uh, really excited. And so I started uh, telling Mary about it. And uh, I'd walk around the house with my Bible saying, look, I always knew it had to be like this. Until So that went on for about, uh, I don't know, a month or two. And one day, the Lord told me, uh, back off. <laughs> and I w- just pray for her. In fact, Mary even said, I don't think I want to hear this anymore. So, so, uh, so I did, and what the principle I learned is a really important one. God saves people, not us. Mm-hmm. And what I had to do, when she, he told me to back off from, uh, uh, from hounding Mary uh, and just seek him. My job was to seek him and grow in the Lord. The Lord's job was to save Mary. So uh, then I got transferred from uh, CSI. I was at nights and weekends. So I couldn't go to church anyhow. And I didn't trust churches. I, I still don't very much. <laughs> and uh, so, so anyhow. I knew I shouldn't have given you a microphone. Yeah. So, so anyhow, well, I trust this one fine. But uh, so when I got to the courthouse, I'm, all of a sudden I'm working days. And then the Lord goes, now I want you to start going to a church. And I go, oh, no. Lord, you better tell me which one to go to, because I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and a Mormon. I had no idea. So he th- guided me to go to the Free Methodist Church, which was on 44th and A Street, which was, we lived in McKinley Park, so it was right around the corner. So I got home, and I told Mary, hey, you know, Sunday, I'm going to go to church. She says, yeah, go ahead. I ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I did. I started going to church, and I met Pastor John Bishop, which his first day there was my first day, and he had, he had been a senior pastor for years, and then he became a minister of outreach. So him and I just hit it off, and he was discipling me. So he came to visit at the house, and we're sitting in the front room, and Mary's sitting there, 
And to my amazement, she starts asking him all these questions. And I had already told her all those answers. <laughs> and, so I, and so I didn't say a word. I backed off and let Pastor John minister. And uh, so uh, anyhow, I don't know, a week or two later, she called me at work. And I said, what's going on? She goes, I did it. I accepted Jesus today mm. by herself. And uh, so that, but the important principle that I learned was, uh, you know, we need to seek the Lord and pay attention to our own growth and not try to hound somebody to death, you know? Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one little correction. It wasn't two months that he was hounding me. It was two years. <laughs> That the man would follow me around and quote from that. And it's like being chained to Paul, if you can imagine what that was like. And, yeah, I, we had been married for, what, three or four years? And it's like four years. I, four years. I thought he was crazy. I thought it was another new thing he was going to go into, and it didn't really involve me. Yeah. It was just his thing. But he kept telling me about the word, you know, reading, and he would go to the Bible bookstore downtown just once a week and come back with all these books that are telling him all these good principles that we should be living our lives. And again, his thing, not my thing. So I apologized to the Lord for being such a stubborn nut to crack there, but um, in that time, this man was praying for me, and he was the only one praying that I would be saved. And that, to me, is such a big deal because I know of his love for me. I knew he loved me, but to pray for my soul and to pray for my salvation was something nobody else was doing. But not only in praying for that, he was praying for, you know, the Lord to come in and show me this new life. And in this new life was this church that he gave to us, which was a tremendous, which he just showed me all these Christian women that loved the Lord, and I wanted what they had. He showed me a community of men and women that loved the Lord and served the Lord. And our family, we had Nikki at the time. I was pregnant with Joanna. Actually, I had her like a week after I was baptized. But we just raised our family in this church in the nurture of the Lord and in the community. This isn't something that we can do by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we need to give um, our loved ones, you know, that... that um, chance to come to the Lord or to, to hear the Lord, but it's not through our preaching at them. Amen. You know, pastor yeah. does his job. Yeah, Praise I'll, I'll preach it to you. Bring your unbelieving spouse <laughs> yes. to me. I'll just... But it's in that day-to-day -day living, and I just praise to God. We've been married 52 years now. Wow. So praise God, and it's all to the glory of God. Thank Amen. you. Amen. Well, I knew, thank you so much. I knew that would be better than any sermon I could give on the, on the matter. So after the service, we're going to have, uh, after the message, I'd say we're going to have a time of prayer, and one of them is going to be, one of the areas is like, hey, I've got an unbelieving spouse, or I've got a good friend who's got an unbelieving spouse, and Jim and Mary would like to pray for you, and so we're going to have that all set up after the service. So the last fill in there is, I'm called to be the light of Jesus to everyone, including my spouse. Sometimes we forget that. Our spouse is so close to us, like all these texts on forgiveness and all these texts on treating others well and honoring and respecting. Sometimes your spouse is so close to you that you forget that and, and then you treat them like harshly, right? But all these texts apply to you in your marriage. And, and so sometimes like we just need to remember that 
and really realize that we are called to be the light of Jesus to your spouse. Even if your spouse is a believer, you're called to be the light of Jesus to your spouse. I want to get into, skip forward a little bit and get into the uh, next and last thing that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is singleness. Singleness is a topic that is oftentimes left out of church. We don't talk about it at church. And oftentimes, you feel like a second-class citizen if you're not married at church because there's such an ethic and a celebration of marriage. But Paul talks here about singleness in the church. And, and I think it's really important that we look at this. And there's a few texts I want to look at as well. 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five through 35. We're just going to read the whole section now. He says this, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. And then get this, get this next verse. But those who marry will face troubles in this life. <laughs> and I want to spare you of this. Whew. What I mean, brothers and sisters, we'll talk about that in a second. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, um, I don't know why that, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if, it, as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. So singleness, Paul sees here, and by the way, he himself is single, and he says many times in 1 Corinthians 7, I wish that everyone were like me, which is not the common wisdom of the church, right? It's like, oh, go get married, have kids, have a thousand kids, and yeah, great. No, I mean, that's not the, the common wisdom. Paul's like, no, listen, the time is short. Jesus is returning. The time is short. Go live and, and show other people Jesus. That's your greatest and biggest calling in this world is to show other people Jesus. But when you're married, your interests are divided. It's true. But Paul's not saying it's wrong to be married, but it's absolutely true. This week, I was supposed to be in Kentucky for like three days. I was supposed to be at a conference in Kentucky, and a, a number of weeks ago, I just pulled the plug on it. I, I couldn't do it. I, I just, with just so much, I got three kids with so much going on, I just was like, nope, there's a Zoom link, I'm going to Zoom. I, I can't do it. I just can't be there. And I, I get this as a married person, that it is too hard to do, you know, to just jump in and go and do things that maybe you're called to do, or maybe you're supposed to be at. Um, here's the interesting thing. Here's what Paul's saying. 
He, he says this in verse 28, but if you do marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. He says, if you're married, you're in trouble. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say it. Paul said it. You need more time. You need more money. Your interests are divided. You need to provide for more people. You have more mouths to feed, and, and it's totally true. Here was the difference for me. This week, I, I can't, or a few weeks ago, I canceled on the conference I was supposed to be at this week. I just couldn't do it. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit. I called the Red Cross, got into the Red Cross like that day, and then two days later was in Louisiana for two weeks. I was a college student. I was, well, I had just finished college. I was just starting my master's. Uh, two weeks. Who could do that now? Who, who in the world? Uh, there's no scenario in this world in the next like 10 years where I could just pick up and go for two weeks. Like, that's an insane thing to think about in my own life. But when I was single in 2005, no kids, living at home, that was easy. I just called my pastor because I was working, I was a youth pastor at a church, called my pastor and was like, can I go serve at Hurricane Katrina for two weeks? He said, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. I literally got a plane ticket and was gone and serving in Hurricane Katrina for two weeks. All these responsibilities just kind of off to the side and was able to take care of them when I came back. My point is, when a missions opportunity came up, I was able to jump in with both feet and say, yeah, I could do that. Single people, that's a gift. That is an absolute gift that you have. Sometimes you look at singleness as a curse, and it's not. Jesus talked about it as a, as a gift. Paul talks about it as a gift. And it's a gift because your interests aren't divided and you could just jump in to whatever God is leading you to do at the time. With undivided interests, it takes less money to be single. That's great. It takes, you know, less, uh, all this stuff. It is lonely at times. I get that. It's hard at times. I get that. But Paul goes on to talk about it as this incredible gift that you could just focus on God's purpose for your life and what God wants to do through you. And it can be frustrating at times, don't get me wrong. I, I understand that. In fact, Jesus had this whole conversation, and this isn't in your notes, it's not on the screen. I just added it to my sermon last minute, and I thought I won't frustrate the, the sound booth people. Um, I, I was going to add some text to the sermon. I could always add Bible verses, right? So Jesus is talking with his disciples in Matthew chapter 19. And his disciples are asking about getting a divorce. They're saying, can you get divorced for any and every reason? And what the disciples are actually bringing up is a rabbinical debate that's happening at the time. The rabbinical debate is about whether a man can simply just write a certificate of divorce and send his wife away. There's one school of thought that said, absolutely, for any and every reason. If your wife, in particular, only men have this authority. If your wife burns the toast, if your wife yells at you, if your wife does any of these things, you could just write her a certificate of divorce and say, get out of my hair. That was one school of thought. And there was another school of thought that said, no, absolutely not. It was a very strict school of thought. And so the disciples are literally asking Jesus this question. And, and in verse 8, Matthew 19, 8, it says this, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. This is Jesus speaking. Because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And then listen to the disciples' response. This is insane. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation... If we can't get divorced, in other words, if we can't get divorced for any, another, any reason we want, 
If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. That's the disciples' response to Jesus. Like, think about how crazy that is. And then here's what Jesus' response is to them. He says this, Not everyone can accept this word, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. So what Paul is saying, I mean, I'm sorry, this is Jesus now. What Jesus is saying, sorry, I've been in 1 Corinthians so long. What Jesus is saying is some people are called to live single lives. And that's a blessing. It's a gift from God. And if you can accept this, you should. If you can't, it's okay. Go get married. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But what he's saying is some people simply choose to live this way for the sake of the kingdom of God because they know they've got a bigger purpose and calling on their life. And if they get married somewhere along the way, cool. But right now, they're going to focus on God's mission. And that's what Paul's point is about singleness. So for married people, you're called, your marriage is to put the gospel on display, the two of you arm to arm, gospel on display to the world. For those of you who are married and you're a Christian and your spouse is not, you're called to put the gospel on display to your spouse. And those of you who are single, you're here and you're single and, and you're wondering, God, when will I get married? God, when's the partner for me right now? Maybe it's time to stop asking that question and start saying, God, what's your purpose for my life? How can I shine your light? How can I put the gospel on display to this world and be called into what you're leading me to do? And maybe somewhere along the way you'll get married. And that's great. But right now it's time to focus on God's mission for your life. So there's these three areas. And I asked Pastor Ruth and, and Bob Agasani. I ask them during these next couple of songs, I ask them to stand right over here and to pray. If you're here and you're married today, maybe you're here and you just want a blessing. Like, you just, like we want to put Jesus first in our marriage. Would you just bless us? Would you just pray over us? They want to pray over you during one of these next few songs that, that's going on. And so they're going to be right over here. I asked Jim and Mary to, to just kind of stand right up here. If you're here and you've got that situation where you're married, but your spouse is just having a difficult time with us, they want to pray for you. Would you let them pray over you? Also, there's this maybe you have like a good friend that you're praying for that's in that situation, and you want to go to them, they'll, they'll pray for that as well. And maybe you're here and you're single. And, you, and I, I just asked Pastor Evan, Pastor Bethany to stand right over here on this side and to pray with you during these next songs. Maybe you're just like, God, I'm frustrated by being single. Maybe you're like, I want to get married. That's cool. We'll pray for that. But maybe it's like, God, I need to know what you're calling me to do. I need to know how to put the gospel on display. God has called all of us who believe in him to reveal the gospel to this world. That's what we're called to do. Whether it's in your marriage, whether you have an unbelieving spouse, or whether you're single, all of us, that's our job. So as the band comes forward, I want to invite you to ask, what's your response right now? Maybe you're here and you're married. I want to encourage you to come over and get prayed for by, by Pastor Ruth and Bob. They're a married couple. They've been married a lot of years. They want to pray for you. Like I said, maybe you're here and, and you've got an unbelieving spouse and it's just like, Lord, when will they come to know your truth? When will they come to see it? 
they want to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you're single and you're like, Lord, I don't know what you're calling me to do. I don't know what the next step is. They want to pray for you over here. So would you, would you just, as we get into this next song, I just want to encourage you to stand right now and as we, right before we sing, and I want to pray over all of us together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the God who saves, the God who redeems us from the pit, the God who takes away our sin as far as from the east as the west. And so, Lord, we want to pray over marriages right now. We pray over people here who are married. Lord, would you use them and put your gospel on display into this world? Lord, we want to pray over people here today who are in that situation where they love you, they're following you, but their spouse isn't. Lord, would you use them in their marriage? Would would your gospel be on display in the midst of their marriage? And Father, we want to pray for our single friends here today. Lord, we want to pray for them and ask that you would reveal to them the mission that you have for them and the opportunities that you have for them. And would you walk with them in this time of their life? In the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.